good day to come to church. We are going to look at verses 11 through 15 of Revelation chapter 20, and I warn you, this is a sobering portion of Scripture. And I, I look at it as one that we've been planning to come to this day all throughout the spring because of the, the order of, in which we, we plan things. And I don't believe that anybody's here for on accident. I believe that everybody's here today because God wants you to be here. And I think it's important that we hear what, what God has to say. I told the church, and I, I say it often, most people are going to live and die without ever sp- taking 15 minutes to think about what's going to happen to them after they die. And that's really a sad thing. And so sometimes it, it's a, a bit sobering to go to the doctor and for them to have to say, hey, we've got a problem. But you can only get help once that takes place. And so we're going to look at a sobering thought in Scripture which, by the way, the Scripture can be sobering. But then at the end of the message, if you stick with us through it all the way, we're going to have plenty of reason to rejoice at the end of the message as we follow the thought all the way through the Scripture. And so let's stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. Revelation chapter 20. And we'll read verses 11 through 15. We'll read the... Odd-numbered verses together, I'll read the even-numbered verses alone. (coughs) So we'll read the odd-numbered verses together, pausing briefly at the punctuation marks. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, the Word of God says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for telling us the truth about who we are, our condition, about the problem and the remedy, the disease and the cure. And I pray today as we take a few sobering minutes to look at this scripture, that you'd help our hearts to be honest with ourselves, that you'd help us to not be distracted, and that we'd honestly take a a little bit of time of reflection to see where we're going to stand in the end times, at the judgment, when we stand before you. I pray, Lord, for those who are saved, that we could rejoice today, that we're not going to have to go through this terrible judgment. I pray if there's anyone here this morning that's not sure they're saved, not sure they're 
going to heaven or their sins are forgiven, that today would be the day that they put their faith in Jesus. We pray the Holy Spirit of God would speak to each heart. Give me the words to say at this moment. In Christ's name, amen. And you may be seated. The Bible talks about the great white throne. This is often called the great white throne judgment. It's one of the most terrifying events in all of Scripture. But why is it so terrifying? Who will be at this great white throne judgment? Why are they there? What happens afterward? We're going to take a a little bit of time this morning and answer these questions. And I, I invite you to not shun the sobriety of the moment. You know, everybody wants fun and happy, uh, but you know, you can only be truly happy if you understand what it's like to not be happy. You can only have joy if you understand what it's like to not have joy. And at the end of the service, we're going to be able to rejoice in Christ, but we have to take this dark path to get there so we can truly understand the, the height and breadth of our Christian rejoicing. And so today we're going to learn about the great white throne judgment. The Bible is a book of history and prophecy. The Bible tells us what came before and teaches us important lessons about the past. And one man rightly said, the only thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. Another said, those that don't learn history are doomed to Repeat it. We're seeing that in our nation today, where people rising up who clearly have, have not thought through the end of, of their, their ways of thinking or even learned the lessons from the past. The Bible teaches us these important lessons about the past. The Bible also tells us what the future holds. It reveals what is in store for saints and sinners. This is not some carnival a ride where you pay five bucks and get your palm read. This is not some uh, going into some seance or some uh, person who's, who's very good at, at reading people and, and deceiving. And No, no, this is the God of heaven who wrote into a holy book that's been around for thousands of years. And he says, I'm going to show you what's going to happen. You say, why should I believe this book? The Bible's full of prophecies that have already come to pass with miraculous accuracy. The statistical probability that the Bible would be right on all of the other things is so close to zero, it's astounding. But the Bible has proved itself true time and time again. And if you look at our world today, you can see a lot of craziness going on, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of difficulty, a lot of, of almost madness of, of things that, how could this be? The Bible describes a day just like today. And the Bible describes what's going to happen in coming days. I personally believe that God's either going to bring a revival of faith and salvation, or He's going to bring the whole human story to a close with the last days of the book of Revelation as he foretold. You say, what's he going to do? I don't know, but I think he's looking at you and I to decide. 
Before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, he was looking for ten righteous people. If there had just been ten righteous people, God would have spared the entire city. The Bible says, uh, Peter told us that judgment must begin at the house of God. When God looks to judge a nation or a people, He always looks to His people. Because if His people, the hope of the world, have given up, then there's no hope at all. And I think you and I, regardless of what the future holds, if you're a Christian, you need to to settle in. You need to get serious. You need to understand that now's not the time to to peck around the edges. Now's not the time to, to sit out and see how little you can get away with. Now is the time to give your heart fully and completely to the Lord and say, Lord, what would thou have me to do? How can I help my family, myself, the world around me? And spectators are the first to become casualties. But every true Christian must step up and stand down. The Bible tells us what's in restore. The Bible details the best and worst of humanity. It also tells us the highs and lows of eternity as well. Heaven is the pinnacle of eternity. Heaven is the culmination of our eternal reward. Heaven is the best eternity has to offer. Oh, but there's another place. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, God reveals one of the most terrifying moments in all of Scripture. This is the final step for those before they go into a Christless eternity. If heaven is the height of eternity... Hell is the depth of eternity. And this is the final stop. This great white throne is the last thing people will see before they are cast into the lake of fire. It's a terrifying moment. The judge of the universe pulls back the curtain of eternity, allowing us to peek into the future to see this horrifying event Why would God allow this? I think there's several reasons why God would allow us to see the great white throne. I think that He wants sinners to get saved. You know, the great white throne is a great reason to get born again today. It's a great reason to put your faith in Jesus if you've never done that. uh, Because only those who reject Jesus Christ in this life will ever stand before the great white throne when the time comes. The great white throne warns sinners to get saved. The great white throne gives believers reason to rejoice. Thankfully, those saved in this life, if you've trusted Jesus in this life, you will never appear at the great white throne judgment. It is a judgment only for those who said no to God and rejected His Son, Jesus Christ. The great white throne compels Christians to share their faith. What about our friends, our family, our co-workers, our community members, our acquaintances, that don't know Christ, that don't know the truth. Only a sociopath would want someone to unwittingly walk into this frightful moment. I think another reason why God shares the great white throne judgment is it's a reminder to all that God will punish the wicked. Do you ever look around and wonder why wicked people get away with the most terrible things? Do you ever look around and say, how could God let them get away with that? Why doesn't God do something? Well, we must never forget that He's giving them a space of grace to repent, to 
to turn to Him, to trust the Son. But dear friend, let me remind you, those who reject Jesus Christ, God's not letting them get away with anything. My preacher used to say in an old country saying, it all comes out in the wash. Nobody's going to get away with anything. And there are truly evil people in this world. And if you've not seen that yet, just keep watching. It's getting more and more obvious. There are people that regardless of how many chances, doesn't matter how much kindness you show them, it doesn't matter how many opportunities, they will hurt and take and steal and kill because it's in their very nature and it's who they've chosen to be. And God says, I'm giving everybody, even the worst among you, an opportunity to trust me. And I'll forgive all their sin, but if you reject me, and many of them will, they've got an appointment at the great white throne judgment to stand before the God of the universe. Don't get discouraged, friend. Nobody gets away with anything. And God is still in control. If you're a Christian this morning, you can rejoice that You'll be saved from this fearsome throne. We need to think of those who need Christ in our own lives and plan to witness to them even this week. If you're here this morning or watching later under the sound of my voice and you're not a Christian, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you've never had your sins forgiven through faith in the person and work of Jesus, then today is the day to get saved. This message is another signpost on the road to damnation one more time where the God of heaven is saying, I love you. I will forgive you. I will take you right now. Jesus paid for your sin. Trust me. But if you keep driving down that road, it only ends in one place. The Bible reveals seven facts about the great white throne. I want to give you these facts. And I want to have a few sobering minutes, and then we're going to take a few minutes at the end to rejoice and learn how to escape this terrifying event. We see, number one, the great white throne. What an interesting name, the great white throne. If you look at Revelation chapter 20, just in my Bible, it's one page back. <coughs> Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4 The Bible says, and I saw thrones and they that sat upon them. So get the picture. John sees thrones. He sees people sitting upon the thrones. He sees people who have been given authority. But then all of a sudden in Revelation chapter, the end of of chapter 20 in, in verse 11, his attention is drawn to a great white throne. This throne is different from all the other thrones he's seen. The person on this throne is different from every other person who was on a throne. This throne was far and above all the others with a glory and a a fearsomeness and a weight that none of the other thrones had. It was a great white throne. What does the word great mean? The word, the Greek word translated into the word great is the word from, we get the word mega. Mega. What does mega mean? It means to the highest or the greatest degree. 
That means that this throne was the mega throne. He saw thrones, but this was the mega throne. This was the throne of thrones. This throne was higher and greater than anything he had ever conceived in his mind. This was the great white throne, the mega throne. What about the word white? The color white in the Bible speaks of purity. This was a holy throne. There was no sin nor darkness in this throne. The Greek word from which we get the word white, the ancient Greek word is leukos. The word literally means light. It was a throne of light, a mega throne, and a throne of brightness as if if light itself emanated from the throne with a purity that spoke of sinless perfection. And this is not surprising if you know the scripture. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 5 that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And surely the one who is light sits on a mega throne of light. We see the word throne. It's a great white throne. A throne symbolizes authority and importance. Kings sit upon thrones. All throughout human history, the size and opulence of the throne displayed the importance and power of a king. It says about Solomon that he had a throne like no one had ever seen. Six ivory steps going up to a large ivory throne. On each step, a lion. And people saw this throne and went, wow, this must be a king of great power, of great authority because of his throne. Well, now we're looking at the mega throne made of light. Surely there is no one with more authority. There's no one higher. This is God's throne. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's the master of masters. And there's no one higher. His throne rises above all others. His power knows no equal. His reign is eternal. This is the great white throne. We learn secondly that on the throne sits an almighty judge. Look back at Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11. And a great white throne and him that sat on it. So John looks and he sees this throne above all thrones, this mega throne of holiness and light and power and authority, and then his attention is drawn to the one who sat upon the throne. Who is this striking figure sitting on this mega throne? Well, we learn it's the God of gods. Look at verse 12, Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before who? Before God. Who's on the throne? God's on the throne. And folks, God is still on His throne. We often say around here, God's still on His throne. doesn't matter what's going on in the White House. doesn't matter what's going on in Congress. doesn't matter what's going on in China or Iran or Russia. God is still on His throne. He's still in control. And one day He's going to sort out all of this craziness because He's the Almighty Judge. If we get even more specifically, we learn that God the Father gave all judgment to His Son And it is the Son of God, Jesus Christ, sitting on this throne. Acts 17, 
31 says, In the day he will judge the world in righteousness by the man that he hath ordained, speaking of Jesus. John chapter 5, verses 22 through 24 say, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. See, God says, I want you to know that I'm not going to be the one that judges you. My Son who died on the cross for you is going to be ultimately the one that judges you. If you reject your Savior, you're also spitting in the face of your judge. Verse 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And then God tells you, This judge, the way that you pass this judge is by believing in him for salvation. If you believe my word, you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you earn the favor of this judge. All your sins are forgiven. We see the great white throne, the mega throne of light. We see the almighty judge, the Son of God upon the throne. We see, number three, the deadly disposition. The deadly disposition of the judge. Look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 again. The scripture says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no more place for them. Where does this great white throne take place? The Bible doesn't say, but it clearly can't be on earth. It can't be in our sky. Because God is going to sit on His throne. And after thousands of years, after millennia of grace and mercy and opportunity, now came time for judgment And when the judge sits on the throne, his disposition is going to be toward wrath. And the Bible says his own creation, the heavens and earth will flee away. They'll run away from this judge with a deadly disposition. God is so angry that the heavens and earth will flee his fearful countenance. The great white throne is appointed as an outpouring of the undiluted wrath of the Almighty. This is not a a judgment to see whether the people here will get judged. This is their sentencing. If you were to go to our Rhode Island court, and God forbid, if you got convicted of something and you, you went to the court case, they would have a case that decided whether or not you were guilty. And then that that appointment would be over. And then often you would go back for another appointment, which is the sentencing appointment. This is the appointment that tells you what you're already guilty. Only guilty people show up to sentencing uh, appointments in court. And, and it's not a matter of whether or not they're guilty. It's, it's what their guilt's going to cost them. And the great white throne judgment is a sentencing because guilt has already been declared. God gives sinners so many chances. He shows us so much mercy. His son left heaven, took upon the form of a servant, a creator walking amongst his creation, the sinless living among sinners. The Savior came to die. 
Christ died on the cross. He went as a sheep led to the slaughter. He didn't complain. He didn't appeal. He didn't try to get out of it. Even Pilate, the one who sentenced him, knew that he had done nothing wrong. It was a mock trial. It was a travesty of justice. The people nailing Jesus to the cross saw immediately something was different about him. As he hung on the cross and people reviled him, he reviled not again. The two thieves on either side of him, Christ on the middle cross, the two thieves screaming and complaining and cursing and crying and screaming at the crowd and turning to scream at Christ and just the anger and viciousness of a, a, a criminal coming to the end of his life in such torturous pain. But Christ hung on the cross willingly. And finally, the people closest to him, those that started paying attention, started thinking, wow, that guy in the middle's different. One of the thieves next to him turned to him and said, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He said, I know who you are now. A man hanging on the cross. Close to death. said, I know who you are. I've seen you suffer. And I believe in you. And Jesus looked at him and said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. This is the God of love. It's a God of mercy. Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us. He gave up the ghost. He was buried in three days. His body was in the grave. The Bible says his soul went down to the lowest hell, redeeming the captives. That's a whole other sermon. On the third day, he rose again to prove that he had conquered death and hell. For thousands of years, God has sent preachers and pamphlets and Bibles into a world trying to point people to the cross. He, he gives us life. He gives us breath. He heals us when we're sick. He protects us from unthinkable accidents. He, 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 he works in our lives. He gives us air to breathe and water to drink and, and food to eat and a place to live. He gives us a mind that can think and hands that can work and legs that can walk. He gives us every piece of our existence. And at the end of one's life... They shake their hand and say, I will not believe in you. Or perhaps they smugly say, I'm too smart to believe in all that. This great white throne, friend, is the time where God says, you've spurned all my grace, all my mercy, every opportunity, and this moment, is whenever you receive all the hell I tried to protect you from. It's a deadly disposition. We see this great white throne. We see the almighty judge. We see the deadly disposition. Next, we see the powerless people. Look at Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 through 13. And I saw the dead... Small and great stand before God. And the books were opened in another book, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. 
the end of verse 15, these dead were cast into the lake of fire. I want you to notice the helplessness of these people. These people had no recourse. They were completely powerless to change their circumstance. And why were these people at the great white throne judgment in the first place? I'll read you a verse, John 3.18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. The word condemned means reserved for destruction. But he that believeth not on him were not condemned. Why? Here's a scriptural answer. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Who are these people, these powerless people at this mega throne of light getting a sentence to eternal damnation? Who are they? These are ones that rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior. And only those who reject Jesus... Only those who die in their sin and unbelief will be at the great white throne judgment. We see number five, the extensive evidence. If you notice in verse 12, it says, And I saw the dead, small and great, which by the way, that means the pauper and the prince, the rich and the poor. Every person individually will stand before God. And then we see that the the books were opened. What are these books? These are the books of condemnation. God keeps perfect records and He's kept a record of every sin that anybody who's ever been alive has ever committed. And I've gone through the Scripture and I've found four books that I believe include these books. And I'll just mention them to you. I think first we see the book of works. These are the sinful works of mankind. The Bible is very clear that no one can earn their way to heaven by doing good things Because any good that we do is ultimately unrighteousness and can never undo the sins we've committed against a holy God. Next, we see the book of secrets. Romans 2.16 says, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. I mean the secret things. The things that your wife doesn't know about. The things your husband doesn't know about. The things that, that, that nobody in the world knows about. The things that you would never speak about. The skeletons that you hope never fall out of the closet. God has a book of secret things that you think you've gotten away with. But no, it will all come to light at the great white throne. We see next the book of words. Matthew twelve thirty six. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak... They shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. What's an idle word? Those are the words we don't pay attention to. The things we say without thinking. Do you know for those who aren't saved, God has a list of every word you've ever said? Every curse word. Every time you've taken his name in vain. Every time you've lied. Every time you've condemned someone who's righteous. The things you couldn't remember in a million years. The things you said 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago. God's going to open a book. On May 19th, 2023, at 11.02 a.m., you said this. And here's the truth, friend. If you stand at this great white throne judgment 
God will make such a case of your guilt that you will agree with him. I am guilty. And I deserve to go to that terrible place called hell. I believe we could add the book of influence, Romans 14, 7, for none of us liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. You can influence people for good and bad. I believe God keeps a list of every time we've led people away from God, every time we've made them doubt their faith, every time that we, we, we encouraged someone to sin, every time we pulled someone out of church, every time we mocked a Christian, every time we used our influence for evil or uh, ungodliness, it's going to come to light. I believe there's another book, the book of motives. I don't have scripture for this. I just personally believe that God not only knows what we did, he knows why we did it. And he's going to read out of the books and everybody, including the one standing before him, is going to cry guilty. There'll be no lying, no arguing, no bargaining. Every mouth will be stopped. Sinners will be speechless. This is the extensive evidence. Number six, the undeniable judgment. Look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the undeniable judgment. Boundless grace had been given. So many chances, so much mercy, yet it was all spurned by the one standing before this mega throne of light and holiness. One by one, the guilty come and stand before God. There's no need of a defense attorney. The guilt is obvious. The condemnation is palpable. The crushing weight of undeniable guilt rests upon the condemned. As the books of condemnation are read, every work cries for judgment. Every thought condemns. Every word is a testimony of shame. Every secret is revealed. Every motive falls in reproach in the light of God's piercing glory. There's only one hope. There's only one small fleeting hope that this condemned one can be saved from the hell that awaits. The Bible says after God opens the books, He gets another book. And this book is the book of life. If you look at Revelation chapter 12, excuse me, chapter 20, Verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. So get the picture. The dead are judged out of the things which were written in the books according to their works. These are the books of condemning works. But then look at, he takes another book and he opens this book. Is the sinner's name in the book of life? Of course he knows it's not because if he was, he wouldn't be standing before this great white throne. But maybe a small moment of hope and the book of life is open, but there's a blank where the transgressor's name could have been written. All the times he said no. All the tracks he threw to the side. All the loving conversation by family and friends he ignored. 
all the time set through a church service like this where an invitation would be given all the times he said, no, now there's a blank space in the book of life. And he's lost. He's forever lost. Guilty, the judge says as the gavel pounds. There's no appeals. The sinner's eternal fate is sealed by his choice to reject Jesus Christ during his life. We learn finally about this great white throne, the eternal penalty. This is a sentencing judgment. What is the sentence? 20 years parole in seven? 40 years in purgatory? Can I, can I tell you a secret that a lot of people don't know about the Bible? The Bible doesn't say one word about a place called purgatory. Not one word. Not one word. Not one word. There's no mid-heaven, there's no mid-hell, there's heaven or hell, and the choice is made while you're breathing breath in this life. And we find the eternal penalty, if you look at verse 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is... The second death. The first death is when the old body dies. The second death, for for those who have never been forgiven of their sin through faith in Christ, the second death is when their soul goes to the place of eternal damnation. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Imagine if you've ever seen a picture or a video of a volcano, an active volcano and all the lava, the sea of lava and brimstone, that molten rock. And if you if you get a get a picture of hell in your mind. It's like a, a sea of, of molten lava that, that burns, but it never stops burning. It, it, it's a place of eternal torment. Everlasting death in the lake of fire is the eternal penalty. Hell is raging fire in the absence of everything good about God. It's only wrath and condemnation. Hell is, is a level of of suffering inconceivable by the human mind. Hell is dying but never able to die. It's suffering at the point of death, but death never brings release. It's burning from the inside out, but the fire never extinguishes life. It's an inconceivable place of terrible suffering. Pastor, why would you tell me about this terrible place? God tells us because no one has to go there. Nobody has to go there. I want you to notice how these condemned souls take their place in the lake of fire. Look down at verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast or thrown into the lake of fire. This is the picture that I see in my mind, I want you to imagine this terrible scene. The Almighty Judge pronounces guilt. Strong angels come and grab the doomed soul by the arms as they begin to take him over to this terrible hole, this terrible portal that opens up and goes straight into the lake of fire. And I imagine this man 
although he knows he's guilty, he's, he's screaming and crying and his feet are dragging the ground as these two strong angels take him over. His feet are dragging as they move to the edge of the portal that descends into everlasting fire. His screams begin to be drowned by the noise of the flame and suffering as they stand at the edge of the lake of fire. These strong angels cast the guilty into the lake of fire. His screams fade as he vanishes into eternal torment and the crowd of sinners wail in despair as they await the same fate. This, dear friend, the great white throne is one of the most terrifying scenes in all of Scripture. And if I could just be honest with you, this is what I deserve. What I just described to you was my fate. I was condemned, reserved for destruction until one day. One day as a 16-year-old boy, I heard the gospel in a way that made me pay attention. I'd heard it before, but this time something was speaking to me way down deep on the inside. And this time I listened, and this time something in me said, well, I don't want to go to hell. I want to be saved. And, and I realized that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had died on the cross to pay for my sin, and He was buried and rose again. The Bible's clear that if I would just put my faith in Jesus, if I would just take whatever faith I had and say, Jesus Christ, I believe you're the Savior, and this very day I'm trusting you to forgive all my sin and take me to heaven. If I have any hope of heaven, it's going to be because Jesus Christ keeps His word and takes me there. And in that very moment, as a 16-year-old boy, God did a miracle, and it's like a thousand pounds was lifted off my chest. I went to bed that night for the first time in my, in my young life with complete and utter peace that if anything happened to me while I was asleep, I'd wake up in the loving arms of God. It was a life changer. And dear friend, this is the hope. The only escape of this terrible fate at the white throne judgment is having your name written in the book of life. Revelations chapter 20 verse 15 tells us that if your name's not in the book of life, then you're cast into the lake of fire. But wait a minute, the opposite's also true. If your name's in the book of life, then you don't get cast in the lake of fire. Matter of fact, you never even have to go to this judgment. The great white throne judgment is not for believers. It's for those who rejected Jesus Christ. How do we get our names written in the book of life? By trusting Jesus. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And our names are written in the book of life when we trust Jesus to save us. Now we've taken a, a dark and winding path past the great white throne judgment. But can I just praise God for a minute? I'm not going to be there. <laughs> I'm not going to be there. Not because I don't deserve to be there, because I do. But because Jesus Christ took all of my sin upon Him when He died on the cross and I believed that and I accepted Him. And when I accepted Jesus, He gave me all of His righteousness. And if you're a Christian here today, if you're a born-again believer, when God looks at you, He doesn't see your sin. He sees His Son. <laughs> what a blessing. 
There won't be one believer ever stand at this great white throne judgment. There won't be one person that's had a time in their life that has claimed Jesus Christ as their Savior. And believed in Him with their heart. If you're a Christian here today, could you rejoice because you won't be there? Could you just thank God with as much, as much as you know how in your heart? Say, God, thank you for saving me from all of that. I think sometimes we go through life and, and man, it's, it's raining outside. I can't be happier. You know, my, my car broke down. I can't be happier. You know, I, I don't have enough money in the bank. I can't be happy. Dear friend, none of those things uh, any of us would want to happen. But did you know on your worst day, you can still find a reason to rejoice? Because you're saved, you're born again, you're saved from wrath. You have a, a place reserved in heaven. And one of these days when this old body gives out, I get to go to heaven as God's son. That's a good reason to rejoice. Can I give you another reason to rejoice? If you're here this morning and you're not saved, you can take care of that. You can take care of it. You walked in these doors condemned. You walk out free. Wait, not because you joined a church. You don't get to heaven by being a Catholic, by being a Baptist, by being Anglican, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, this or that. When you die, God's not going to say, what denomination were you? And how far back did you sit in a pew? And uh, how many times did you read your Bible? And, uh, no, no, it's none of that. The only thing that matters is did you trust Jesus as your Savior? My preacher used to say some people are just looking for fire insurance. You say, well, I'm saved, so that means I can go live however I want. You missed the whole point. You miss the whole point. And I believe if you're truly saved, there's something inside of you that is so grateful and so thankful, you say, Lord, it's not a problem for me to go to church. It's not an effort for me to follow you. Because you saved me from all this mess. You can only escape the great white throne with a decision made by your, while you're still living. Someone here might say, well, if I get to the great white throne, I'll trust Jesus then. That's not how it works. God will make you live forever with the decision you make before you take your last breath on earth. And so trust Him. Trust Him today. I finish with this. The Almighty Judge will one day repay those who die in their sins for every transgression. No one escapes eternal justice. If you're a Christian this morning, rejoice that you'll never experience this fearsome throne. We need to think of those who need Christ and witness to them. If you're not a Christian today, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, I believe that even this message is an act of love. Do you know it would be easier for me to preach things that would make you happy? It would be easier for me to preach something where you would walk out saying, wow, that's a nice guy. He made me feel good today. Oh, but I'd be a liar. Me preaching this to you is an act of love saying, I care about you. And I want to tell you the truth. And God allowing you to hear this service 
is one more time God saying, I love you so much. I did everything I could to save you from what he just talked about. Don't reject me. Trust me. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. At the end of each of our services, we take a few moments to